Welcome to Breaking the Surface, where we break into a delicious beverage and also dive into the topic at hand. I'm one of your co-hosts, Taylor Kramer. I'm the owner and lead producer for Cold Shower Media. I'm Pat Milligan. I'm a journalist here in Traverse City. And I'm another friend. I am Anthony Weber, and I am a pastor and an ethics teacher, and I am something of a fashion icon when it comes to oversized sweaters. The point here is that we want to go beyond the talking points to get to the depths of what is happening in our world. It should also be said that this podcast is part of the Boardman Review Podcast Collective in collaboration with Culture Media. The Podcast Collective aims to provide unique content curated by the Boardman Review, the creative culture and outdoor lifestyle journal of Northern Michigan. All right, we're going to jump right in today, uh, another episode of Breaking the Surface. But before we start, we're going to highlight our sponsors. Typically, we do this mid-episode, but I just can't wait to get into it. Uh, we today are drinking Wild Ginger, which is a draft-style mead from St. Ambrose, which is actually relatively down the road for me. And whenever we have company, I like to take them there because they have huge outdoor area, food trucks, games oh. to play outside. It's an awesome spot. Nice. Um Beth, I know you looked up the description for this beverage. Can you outline for the people what it is? Yeah, it says uh, take ultra smooth star thistle honey and kick it up a notch with a whole bunch of fresh ginger and you get this classic member of our lineup. Live life on the wild side with our favorite ginger gal and try this one today. The bottle does have a a redheaded woman on the front mm-hmm. of it. So I think that's what they're referring to. But it, it's it's delicious. It kind of, I was mentioning it kind of tastes like ginger ale. Uh, it's kind of light. I feel like it's very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anthony, what are you thinking over there? Oh, it's fantastic. And the aftertaste that lingers is even better. It's really, yeah, it's light. It's bright. I like it quite a bit. And it's gluten-free. Very helpful for people to know. Yeah. Uh, I was actually, so today we are one day removed from the Detroit Pistons choosing Cade Cunningham with the number one pick. And I thought for the beverage today, I'm going to go look for a champagne. I have no clue if you guys like champagne. I went to look for one. They didn't have any. And this is what I stumbled across, but I still, even though it's not champagne, I have to say it tastes like celebration and yeah. I am all aboard the motorcade. Here's to Cade. Here's to Cade Cunningham. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. And thank you, St. Ambrose. Welcome to episode 11 of Breaking the Surface. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about bad faith arguments and specifically, I guess, what we owe bad faith arguments, what we owe maybe more importantly and more sensitively people who make bad faith arguments. And this is something I asked uh, Taylor and Anthony, if we could talk about this week after watching the testimony in Congress of the Capitol Hill police officers who had been involved on the insurrection day on January 6th. Um, It was very emotional testimony. Um, I think it was the first time a lot of the country has been able to hear from some of these men in detail about their experiences. There was new uh, video footage from their body cameras that was shown uh, during the testimony. And the thing that I really walked away from that um, experience of watching that thinking was how angry I was. Um, at at people who have tried to sort of do this revisionist history about what happened on January 6th. And we've talked before on the show about the insurrection, and we don't have to get much in the details of that. But it did really, for me, make me start to wonder, there are a lot of topics right now where I feel like people are putting forward very bad faith arguments. They're not well-researched. They're not really based in science or logic. Sometimes they're just demonstrably false, whether it's the stealing the election lie or this lie about the insurrection. 
um, and trying to say that that was just a peaceful protest or it's been blown out of proportion. It, it wasn't. And the testimony of that men made it very clear that they were prepared to die that day and thought they were going to die. Yeah, and thought they might. Thought they might. Um, and many of them, you know, spoke about being called the N-word for the first time in their entire lives and, and being in uniform that day and just really horrific experiences where people were telling them to their face, you know, you're going to die today. You're going to die on your knees. So I just wanted to ask you two, as part of this show, um, maybe we could talk through some of this and, and how do we approach or handle when people are making arguments that sometimes they even themselves, we think, don't believe, but they're politically expedient or they're convenient for some identity that they have. So I'm just going to open it up to you guys and then we can kind of get into it. Yeah. I just, I think that, um, this isn't necessarily an answer to what we're talking about, but what has become a realization and a major frustration for me is that these bad faith arguments are coming from otherwise super intelligent people, people that, you know, are capable of making a more nuanced argument and contributing to, uh, the betterment of conversations that are really important for every American citizen, a, a conversation surrounding something like the insurrection, it's a really important conversation to have. It was a major historical event of the likes we've really never seen before. And when you have these bad faith arguments that are being made by people who you know are capable of doing so much more and like contributing to a, a robust conversation, that gets really, really frustrating for me. And you had said that, like if it, if it's in alignment with this, um, this mission that they might have. And instead they're, you know, they're throwing out information that could hurt their argument and they're just focusing on what's going to further their mission. Uh, it's really, really harmful. And that's been frustrating for me. I think it's worth making a difference between an intentionally and unintentionally bad faith argument. Mm. So I think there are people, um, and, and this spans all types of ideologies or groups who purposely construct arguments they know are incorrect, but they're trying to gain something from it. But I think there's quite a few people who hear those arguments, don't know they're dishonest or being done in bad faith and genuinely think it's an argument that needs to be made. And so they pass it on. I know there's a term for this uh, in Twitter. When you pass on something over and over, it takes on life of its own. I was just reading an article and I can't remember what this is called. But I, I think a lot of people that we have discussion with don't realize they're making bad faith arguments. Mm -hmm. That was actually... Like my first, as we started to discuss how to approach this topic, there's a lot of people in my personal life. I'm not just talking about the people I see on TV, but people that I engage with in person that I think make bad faith arguments. And I'm sure they think the same about me at times. But the question I was going to lead with when I'm deciding whether to engage with this person or not, whether they deserve my time and my energy is, is their malice at the forefront of their argument? And that's what you had said, you know, is it intentional or unintentional? If there's, if there's not a purposeful malice, then I think I can go to the next step. And I kind of have a next step, but it looked like you wanted to say something. I've remembered the example and I can't think of the terminology that we use, but an ER doctor posted something on Twitter and I forget where they're situated. It's one of the cities in the U S right now where the emergency rooms are really being overrun again with COVID patients who are really sick. So this ER doctor just posted something about it. It took four posts for this to become a viral meme claiming this was a conspiracy. And here's the way it worked. He posted one other person reposted, like uh, retweeted, sorry, what he said, added his own comment. A third person did it. The fourth person put all of the tweets together and made it look like the exact same tweet came from three or four different people, 
put them all side by side and put it out there as, look, it's a concerted effort to tell a story. They've agreed. Everybody's using the same terminology. Like it's a cut and paste. It's all a hoax. And boom, that's the thing that went viral. And so you've got somebody in that mix who was very purposely deviant. They knew better. But then you see people who don't know all that behind the scenes stuff and they see what looks like this pattern of cut and paste claims of something terrible and they're probably already predisposed to think it's overblown, but they share it not because they think they are engaging in something that's incorrect, but because they think something terrible has been uncovered. It's all in a sense a bad faith argument, but somewhere some people were very intentional and at some point a lot of unintentional people were just passing it on. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe it's helpful to define bad faith argument. For me, what I mean when I use that term is an argument that's either being made deviantly or maliciously, like you guys were saying, or I can, I can, or an argument that is easily dismantled by a little research or fact checking. And yet I can tell the person has deliberately chosen not to go through that process or has disregarded contradicting information. Um, And so they're clinging to an argument that is easily disproved um, and has seemingly no interest in revisiting, you know, their opinion about that topic. That for me is a frustration. Like everybody on January 6th were just tourists who were hugging and kissing and taking photos with the police. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the, the Capitol officers were asked about that specifically, you know, they were shared, um, statements were shared with them. Like, you know, this has been characterized as a tourism day or a visit at the Capitol. How does that make you feel? What's your reaction? And it's like, um, I think one officer had a little bit of a wry comment when he said, well, if that's a tourism day, it makes me realize why other countries hate American tourists, <laughs> which I thought was kind of a funny <laughs> and telling response, but they were, they were, they were offended. Um, I mean, they literally had been pressed to the point where they were out of oxygen and thought that they were going to die and people were hitting on hitting them. And they were talking about how, you know, the crowd kept replenishing itself. So someone would be hitting them or beating on them mm-hmm. and then someone else and they would get tired and someone else would take their place. But the officers were holding the line the entire time, just taking those blows and those beatings, getting concussions. You know, we had deaths that day. So that to me is a, a, a particularly egregious bad faith argument. It's clearly demonstrably false. You can look at the video. You can hear testimony from the officers who lived through it. If you're walking away from that and still trying to pretend that that was not an insurrection or something didn't happen that was seriously tragic that day, then that to me is the definition of bad faith. You know it's not true, but you're making it because it's politically expedient with a certain amount of your constituents. And I find that to be horribly offensive. I think I mentioned to you guys in a, a, when we were chatting about it, that it's gaslighting and it's, it's very psychologically damaging. And, and it's not only damaging to those officers, but if you allow those sorts of bad faith arguments to take root, um, it can change the way that we remember that day. And then I think prepare for something like that in the future. I mean, it has real world ramifications to just allow those kind of arguments to go unchecked. Okay, so tell me if this is an example of a good faith argument looking at what happened on January 6th. If I would say there was three groups of people at the Capitol that day. One was a lot of people, thousands of people who did not storm the building and who were peacefully demonstrating. And whether I agree or disagree with them, it was perfectly within their rights. They did not break any laws. In fact, many of them didn't even see what was happening and were shocked to find out later 
what was actually going on with the storming of the building. That's group number one. Group number two, I believe there were some cases where some of the policemen, rather than fighting because it was such an overwhelming crowd, they stood out of the way and and decided to let them go. Okay, so that happened. So that's trespassing, I suppose, but it's there wasn't violence taking place there. But then there was a third thing that we saw in the testimony um, just the other day. There was clearly a lot of people who were ready to kill people and were very vocal about it. And it sure seems like they would have had they been given the chance. It feels like a good faith argument has to look at all three of those and say, yes, that was all, all of those were part of the experience. To not look at any of those, though, is to refuse to look at history. You have to see all of them. And I, I've seen a number of news sources trying to dismiss the testimony of the officers, downplay stuff, uh, deflect to how those who have been arrested have been treated rather than talking about the trauma that was done uh, by, to the policemen. Uh, so I feel like a big part of gaslighting is a refusal to see the big picture. Or I'm sorry, not gaslighting. Uh, the bad faith argument yeah. is the refusal to see the big picture. I just want to look at a sliver of it and then say that is the narrative when the reality is it's only one of the narrative arcs in a much bigger story. I think for something like the example you gave where there's kind of multiple um, types of people and the reasons that they were there is that those people that were there, they need to realize kind of the connotations that come with them simply showing up. And it, it's amazing how many examples we have on the, the right and the left where you'd had essentially a whole summer of protests that were taking place and violence broke out against racial injustice, right? In the, in the police brutality cases. And so many of the people that were trying to delegitimize those protest efforts were pointing to things like the looting and the rioting and the burning of buildings and whatever in order for to give them comfort and say those movements are false those aren't worth anything yet they showed up to the capitol and even if they weren't the ones that were smashing the windows of the capitol they were in that larger group and so if you're going to cast certain judgments like that and you could do it the other mm -hmm. way as well yep. but if you're going to cast judgments like that, you have to understand that if you're engaging in something like that, which this was very much geared towards a stop the steal type of thing. This wasn't a, I'm kind of upset with the way that a legitimate election went. No, this was a stop the steal. And so people that were there were in some way trying to participate in that stop the steal. And some, for some people it meant I'm going to literally smash this window or I'm going to step on this police officer. I'm going to crush him in a door. And for other people it meant I'm going to stop the steal by just showing up and being a part of the numbers. And so I think simply being there was a bad faith argument in my opinion. Yeah. It's, and this is what I, I think that there, this is why I think they're so dangerous is because one tends to beget another, right? So you had, you had the stop the seal, which is the original bad faith argument. We've talked before on the show, but the election was not stolen. And that has been proven by the courts. It has been proven by just about any um, factual, scientific, logical fact-checking outlet you want to look at. So people continue to make that bad faith argument though, because they didn't want to accept the election outcome that leads to insurrection. And then now I think there's a fear among people, particularly politicians who encourage the stop the seal, bad faith argument, realizing the violent outcome that came out of that argument and now making another bad faith argument that it really wasn't as violent as we all saw with our own eyes that it was because they don't want the accountability for the original bad faith argument and what that led to. And they don't, there's also connections to Trump and there's worries about his liability and inciting that insurrection. So 
it's just, you know, so then what's going to be the next bad faith thing? You know, it's just, I think they're a series of dominoes that require a continued commitment to lies. Um, and, and, and again, they're lies that are very damaging and have real world consequences. Did you see there was a representative from Alabama who admitted he wore body armor that day? Oh, really? He gave a speech ahead of time before the storming of the Capitol. Man, I can't remember his name. But yes, he admitted he had been given a heads up a couple of days before that it might turn violent and he wore body armor. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it wasn't a heads up that Antifa was going to be there. It was a heads up right. that this could go a particular direction and he prepared for it ahead of time. Mo mm-hmm. Brooks is his name. Mo Brooks. I just found it real quick. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. And also like the, the you know, sometimes the, the bad faith argument is that it wasn't as bad as it was, which we all have seen it was bad, but now I'm also seeing like, I think on the day of the officer's testimony this week, another Republican politician came out and said, we all know why January 6th happened. Nancy Pelosi. And I'm like, what, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like she had nothing <laughs> to do with anything that happened that day. Like what was she, she was responsible because she didn't stop this deal. Like I don't understand those arguments. Um, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, I think this is the dilemma of really large groups and movements, which is one reason I'm reluctant to associate myself with national groups mm-hmm. because there's a wild card. Uh, And you can look at almost any type of thing that's happened. Let's just go in the last five or six years. I'm going to go back to, I had a student at NMC who was at the Women's March in Washington after Trump was elected. And some footage I had seen, as is often the case with the national news, was some some elements in that march that were pretty vulgar. And I think that's where they're wearing the uh, anatomical hats, if I can (laughs) say that correct. Well said, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and there there was some crude things and some stuff like that. We were talking about it in class and the student said, I was there. I saw none of that. Mm-hmm. Everyone I was with, we just walked and we were chatting and it was super like she was surprised. She kind of thought it was a setup um, because it wasn't her experience. But the reality was it was a huge group and there's always going to be fringes. Um, Antifa, the same way, the the riots we saw the other year where some people were looting and burning, but an awful lot weren't and were trying to stop it. Mm-hmm. And now you get what happened on January 6th, a bunch of people peacefully sitting there and another group of people creating havoc. And it's it's one of the dangers, I think, and once again, why I'm reluctant to associate myself with ideologies and movements, because it feels like, going back to your point, Taylor, at some point, not that you become complicit in what certain segments of it choose to do, but you're connected to it. And so going back to the good faith argument, I I think what's missing is the inability uh, or the, uh, you don't want to do it, the stubbornness Mm -hmm. (laughs) to, to acknowledge the fullness of what's happening and then call out what's bad Mm -hmm. and accept what's good. I don't see what's so hard about looking at a fringe group and going, that is not okay. This is not how we are doing this. You are not welcome to be part of this and, and be able to separate that and go, that's a distortion of our movement. If that's what's happening, that's what you ought to do. Mm-hmm. If that's not what's happening, well, then that's a whole different discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can. Yeah. I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Anthony. And I think like black lives matter, you know, like any of these groups, it's a good example. Like I have a black lives matter sign up in my window at my house. And I see that particular cause often dismissed because they're all sort of violent anarchists and they go looking for trouble. And, 
it's just this whole violent movement when truly the vast, vast majority of BLM protests have been completely peaceful and often have been victims of police violence and brutality themselves as protesters, as peaceful protesters. But I would still, you know, when I'm challenged about that, or if people challenge that sign or challenge BLM, like I'm happy to have that conversation. I personally don't condone violence, violent protests. I actually think you can have a philosophical conversation about that. I'll Malcolm X, but (laughs) I do not personally. And I will always say that I would say if there are BLM protesters who are being violent, I don't support that. It doesn't change my support for the the overall cause. And I think in being willing to engage with the nuances of any movement that you do align yourself with makes you a stronger representative of that Mm -hmm. movement. You should be just like, we've had all these conversations, you, Anthony and I about Taylor, about Christianity and taking a hard look at our own business in the church or whatever it might be. Or I'm always willing to criticize the Democratic Party, even though I feel more aligned with that than the Republican Party, because you have to keep your own house in order. And it's the same thing was I don't think it makes you any less of a patriot to question your country because you want the country to live up to the ideals that you support. Um, And it's not going to do that with people letting those things go unchecked. So that's why I think it's really important to make good faith arguments. And those are ones that I think do what you said, Anthony, which is encompass the full nuance of reality, including the flaws and and the bad things Um, and being willing to do research and admit when you're wrong too. like, Mm. these are all things that I just, I'm so frustrated that I'm not seeing more people being willing to engage in. Yeah. So for me, because we're kind of comparing or using examples from, you know, things like Black Lives Matter protests versus the insurrection. And that to me, and again, I'm just speaking as an individual, is really easy for me to sift through because I can look at maybe a Black Lives Matter protest that turned violent and there was um, certain sections of a city that were being destroyed. And I can look and say that that destroying of that section of city is a bad thing. I don't support that. But the underlying truth about the existence of systemic racism and injustices, I still believe exist. Now, then if you flip the page and you go to the insurrection, I would look and say, okay, none of that, including what they're basing it on, that this election was stolen. I don't align with that truth or that that happened. And so then I dismiss the entire thing. And I think that when we engage in these, in these bad faith arguments, we water down our ability to engage in the future and be a viable option for people to have conversations with and to trust. And that's just my fear about things like this that take place is if at the, at the baseline, like if we talk about the insurrection and I think that there was, you know, 60 some investigations that were done. Mm -hmm. Um, and all of them, except maybe one came back saying like there, this was a legitimate election. Now, what would I think if 50 or 60 of those came back and said, yes, there is evidence that this was a, a illegitimate election. Then I could look at that and say, well, I still don't think I support crushing police officers to death. Yeah. Um, but that's a very scary thing that our democracy is at stake. And so then you would be able to have more of like a nuanced look at that. But when the, the root of an entire movement like that is based on something that's factually incorrect, Mm -hmm. then that is the definition of a bad faith argument. And those are people that I don't care to work with in the future. Do you know what I mean? I don't care to have conversations with them in the future because they aren't deserving of my attention or really 
Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. But can I just, so I'm glad you said that because I think one, I think that's honest. And two, especially because I, I admire you both so much and go on. <laughs> no, is there I, a bot here? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think you're, I think you're both men of integrity and I, and you belong to church. And so there's really a bit an emphasis on, you know, how we treat people and how we talk to people, even when we disagree with them in community. I know, you know, Anthony and I have had a lot of conversations about community over the years. So this is something I'm really struggling with. And what I really wanted to get to your opinion and what you said there, Taylor, is honest. I know it's maybe not the best way we're supposed to talk about treating people, but that's how I feel right now. I'm struggling with, especially, I think this is particularly true with the stop this DLI, because I think it's dangerous to our democracy and with vaccinations, because I think it's dangerous to our public health. And um, I've been, I shared some articles with you guys, but it's getting really concerning now with the Delta variant. And um, as a vaccinated person, I now feel unvaccinated people are threatening my health um, because the, the, the variants allowed to continue spreading, it can mutate. And pretty soon we could all have a mutation that our vaccines are not effective against. So I'm starting to move from an earlier episode when we talked about treating people with compassion and being, assuming the best about their decision not to get vaccinated. I'm starting to feel angry. (laughs) I'm starting to feel frustrated because the science overwhelmingly supports the safety and efficacy of these vaccines. And I've really spent time listening to interviews with unvaccinated people because I have people in my life I'm trying to convince so I'm trying to understand why they might feel that way and what I might say to be effective. I've been trying to be careful and compassionate. But when I hear so many arguments or I hear people explain why they're not getting vaccinated, it's so not based in any research. It's it's like it doesn't matter if they're pastor, their doctor, their Democratic or Republican leader, however they lie. Like some of them, it doesn't matter how much science comes out. They're just like, I just don't trust it. I just my gut tells me not to trust it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, your gut is not as smart as like a million scientists. So I want to ask this to you guys, like, is it okay to feel angry and frustrated at people who are making bad faith arguments? Like, how should we respond to them? How do they deserve to be respected as just like, oh, your opinion is just as valid as anyone else's? Or are we allowed to feel angry and try to combat that in some way? I want to follow the pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I'm, this is where with my pastor head on, I'm going to push back a little bit on both of you. Please do. Uh, and that is, I think, I think we res- give people the respect all the time because from my Christian background, we're image bearers of God. Everybody is. We share in a common um, sense of value, worth, and dignity that you have simply for being human. And uh, so I, I think maybe one thing we have to make is a distinction between being angry or frustrated with an argument and how we think about a person. But I'm going to go even further than that because I would argue that I have made bad faith arguments throughout the course of my life. I'm certain of it because I've changed position on some things and I have had really strong held beliefs at times that were held based on the information that had been given to me. And as I got older and was able to study more, I changed positions on some things. We could do a whole other show about what those things are. But I, at that time, as I look back, I think, what was I thinking? I didn't know. I didn't know any better. And I was very confident about it. So I appreciated the people who were patient with me as I was going through that. And so what I'd like to do is replicate that with others. Um, Do you draw, can I ask you a question? Do you draw a distinction? I mean, I think the reason I'm frustrated, the vaccination thing, is it 
it poses a physical risk to me and to other people. So it's not just a personal philosophy. It's a public health uh, risk, I guess. So that's one question. Okay. So, okay. I had another thing to say. Let me see if I can wrap it up. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I would make a big distinction between someone that I know is purposefully making a bad faith argument versus people who have been given information. And in many ways, they are being logical based on what they have been given as true. They just don't know any better. So I, I feel like part of my role in that case is the same role other people played in my life. And that was to try to be faithfully present and continue to, to offer them things that shed the light of truth and, and hope and pray that um, it makes sense. And once again, I, I say that because I'd like to replicate uh, the patience that was has been given to me throughout times in my life. But at other times, there are people that I know just aren't being honest. They're the people who are starting what's going out there. And that bothers me. So I'll give you an example. Um, I've been trying to educate myself quite a bit on critical race theory because it's such a hot topic right now, not just in uh, the secular world, but in the Christian world. And the, the more I am listening, and I'm not a CRT scholar, right? I have some background training in philosophy, but this isn't like my gig. So best as I understand it is that there are leaders um, who are making arguments that just are dishonest about what CRT says. And it is easily, easily demonstrable. Uh, a book came out res- recently from a fairly big name guy. If you're listening to um, Southside Rabbi podcast, you know who I'm talking about. And simple things like this guy said, these are the six tenets of CRT, and he claimed he took them from a book by one of the authors. Well, you can go to the book and see he didn't at all. If I remember right, like one wasn't even there. A couple of them, he had rephrased the words to make it say what he wanted to say. Like, it wasn't even close. Okay, that is, that's a problem. Um, because that's a person who is forming the opinions of others. Others are going to read that book and feel like they have been well-informed about what CRT is and all the implications of it. And so if I engage with them, they, they're citing an authority that they trust. That, that is just a, a case of misinformation. But when you get to kind of the fountainhead, that's where I start to get a bit angrier. Like, you did not do the work. That was necessary. You created a straw man. So what ends up happening is that I will hear arguments against a straw man version of CRT, and I will agree with them. If this is what CRT is, I agree with the criticism. Then I'll listen to someone else, maybe someone who actually teaches CRT, and they'll go, I don't even recognize what they're talking about. And then they'll explain it and I'll go, oh, okay, well, if that's what it is, I don't disagree with it. And then I'll see even guys like Ibrahim Kandi, is that his name? He he takes some implications of CRT further than like legal school CRT scholars do. Okay, so now I, I might disagree with some places that Kandi goes, but that would be me disagreeing with Kandi's take on it. Sure. Rather, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I, that, that is a, that's one where there's a tension involved, just kind of about roles people are playing. Now, what was the third thing you said? Oh, Beth? I just said like, so the vaccination one is one, it's a health mm-hmm. risk. It's not just a personal philosophy. Yeah, yeah. And two, I really don't think that anyone in our country has any shortage of factual information about the vaccine. So 
I can understand. I have evolved my viewpoints on many things over the years too. And I think that's important to do. And I have been given grace on some of those things, including sensitive issues mm-hmm. like, you know, LGBTQ rights. And we'll be given grace again. Yes. Yep. And I do, I do strongly believe in giving grace in a lot of areas where people are open-minded and I can see that they're motivated by good faith. They're trying to learn. I'm having a hard time when people do have access to all the information and choose a bad faith argument. That's, that's the yeah. one I'm struggling with. So I'll say one more thing and yeah. then, then I will have gotten all my words out and I'd like <laughs> to hear what Taylor's thinking. Um, so I, I personally make a distinction between if someone says, if you get the vaccine, you're magnetic. Oh, uh, okay. So that one, <laughs> that one, you can just, it's so easy to test. <laughs> yeah. You're magnetic, right? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Taylor and I have joked about this off mic. Um, <laughs> I, I work on a construction site. Wouldn't it be handy if I was magnetic? You know, I could stick the nails to my arm and I don't need a nail pouch anymore. Anyway, there are some things like that, that my patience is limited for because it's so easily demonstrable to be false. There's other things like, you know, this was a, a quick, uh, development of the vaccine. I mean, not as quick maybe as people think, but it was a relatively quick development. We haven't had years to see what the consequences are. Um, so for people who are just genuinely concerned about injecting things into their body without knowing what the long-term effect is, I think there's reason for us to have concerns about that because just like any medicine you take, it's going to give and it's going to take away. That's how my doctor explained it to me anyway. All medicine gives and takes away. Gives you something you want, it'll probably take away something that you like. And you have to weigh in the balance um, what that's going to be. So I, I am sympathetic to that. It's more of the conspiratorial things like uh, you have a microchip or you're magnetic or the, the cell towers are going to you know make you a zombie. Those are the things where... I feel like that's a different kind of argument than, than the other one that I described. Um, I know that still doesn't answer your question, Beth, but I want to see if Taylor will talk about what you, what you said. Well, I was just, it was kind of leading to when I had said one of the first things I asked myself when trying to decide whether to engage with somebody is, is there malice at the forefront? And if there's not, then I can yeah, kind of move yeah, to my yeah. next step and which is thinking, okay, can I contribute some type of, like additional critical thinking. Cause someone may have may think they really critically thought through and arrived at the point that they did. Um, so can I inject a little bit more of that from a different area? And will I subsequently like get a little bit from them too? So I can ask that question where I get frustrated or I think where another spot where I might have to pause and say, okay, this is just not something that I need to move forward with is if when someone gets attached to an idea do they start to want to see other people suffer from being wrong? And I think we've seen that play out quite a bit. Like if there's, if there's not a face to it and we don't know who this um, unvaccinated, like we all are, are, we're pro vaccine. We all were vaccinated. And we hear about these, that 99% of the new cases or hospitalizations are from the unvaccinated. I can look at that and it can kind of like, in a strange way, make me feel good and justified. I shot him for it. Yeah. Like, oh yes, I was, I was correct. And all those idiots that didn't get the vaccine are the ones being hurt. I don't know that that's how I actually need to be approaching it. I have to remind myself of that. The other thing is I tend to give more grace to people that are directly in my life. I have a ton of unvaccinated friends. Oddly enough, I'm very pro vaccine. Um, but I give them more grace than I give that random 
anti-vaxxer on Twitter because <laughs> I don't know that person. My friends, they've poured into me, they've contributed to my betterment, all these types of things. I'm more willing to hear them. And so I almost feel like it, maybe it goes back to the image bearer thing, seeing like, okay, what, what is this person saying? Do I actually know them? And if I don't, can I kind of like keep on them like almost pretending like I know them and that they're deserving of my, of my best intentions. But when you talk about something where you could physically be harmed by the decisions that someone is making or not making, that's, that's really scary. And it's almost like now throughout COVID, we have almost two years of evidence to see what type of grace we should be extending to someone. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk to, I'm going to use the term anti-vaxxer, but if you're talking to an anti-vaxxer who just seems to constantly be on the fence between like, I'm, I, I think I want to get it. Uh, actually, there's some things I'm looking at right now that make me a little bit uncertain. I'm almost like willing to talk with them more than I am the person that uh, in mid April of 2020 was like, don't put a damn mask on me. Mm -hmm. Like you, you lost my respect in that instance, because right away it was never about others. It was about you. And so I want to engage with the people where it seems like they're at least um, giving respect to other people, which would include me. That's, I guess that's kind of how I approach it. Even if my physical health is at risk, it's something I can be sensitive about, but I now feel like I have enough evidence to look at that person and say, okay, have you been reasonable throughout this? And then they can look at me and ask the same thing. Yeah. The worst version of myself, I'm not saying this is how people should think or feel. I'm just trying to be honest about how I feel sometimes because I think other people feel this way and I'm trying to wrestle through it. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. You know, with the vaccine thing on my worst days, I'm just like, fine, idiots, you get, don't get vaccinated, get COVID and die. Like then, then it's just going to be on you. Right. Cause that is who is dying. Unfortunately, right now is 99% of deaths are, are from unvaccinated folks. That's not my best self. And I'm willing to acknowledge mm -hmm. that. That's not how I want to feel about other people. I do believe the idea of, I don't necessarily call myself a Christian, but I believe that concept of image bearing. I do believe people have inherent dignity and value and should be respected. I would like to live up to that ideal. I'm so frustrated by the bad faith arguments around vaccines though. And I have a difficult time, Anthony, I think, you know, you made a distinction between the argument and the person, but the argument doesn't spread without the person. Sure. <laughs> it's the person who is, is continuing to perpetuate the bad faith argument. So I have a really difficult time separating those things, including in people who are very close to me that I love. And I think I'm trying to wrestle through the complexity of also not indulging my own arrogance that all of my ideas are completely hundred percent good faith or that I know everything. And I'm somehow better than other people who think differently than me. I, I want to acknowledge that too, but I think I'm just so concerned now with the data and the science that's coming out about vaccines, about, you know, people who are vaccinated are still having a lot of breakthrough cases, much more than we thought. They still have almost the same viral load, which means they're spreading it. And I'm just worried that this sort of reluctance to trust science or research and just believe that how your gut feels as important as any other research or science, I don't think those things actually have equal footing, but I understand that they're the most compelling thing to you as an individual is probably going to be what your gut feels. Yeah. So what's going to happen is this country is not going to get to a herd immunity and we are going to continue to have these variants. And then us who, people who have chosen the research and the science, we're going to get shut down just like everyone else. We're going to have to deal with the consequences just like everyone else and potentially could, you know, have a variant that 
our vaccines won't protect us against. And that's so frustrating. And that makes it hard for me to see those people in that image bearing light because sure. it has ramifications for everyone. Now that, that does make it tough. It's kind of like if someone is smoking and we know secondhand smoke isn't good for us, Yeah, we're going to ask them, please don't smoke around me. And it, and it's, it's a free country. Some people will right, say that, right, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really feel a lot of tension on this, honestly, because for one, a pandemic like this is kind of new territory. We're not used to this as a people group. And I think what it's highlighting uh, is, so if we get to good and bad faith arguments, I don't know that this is either one of those, but the difference between a culture that is grounded in individualism versus a culture that is grounded in collectivism. And I don't mean by that political or economic. I simply mean we are, we are raised in a nation that for several hundred years now, we have really focused on the rights of the individual versus lots of other nations around the world and places where they think of themselves a community. And this pandemic has kind of forced a discussion about what does it look like to maintain individual rights within the context of a community that we also have responsibility for. And I mean, if you look, I go to Worldometer a lot just to keep up on my COVID stats. Um, and it's not everywhere, but I think generally speaking, the more a country has been founded on individualistic values, they struggle more with containing this. The numbers tend to be higher. This is not across the board because there's lots of reasons why numbers vary. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like that's the conversation that needs to happen more is what does it look like for us? It's, I don't feel like it's an either or discussion. Like just to say that I, I need to be considering my community while I make choices is not the same as saying, therefore I have no rights, right? I think we, we also live in a time where everything gets bifurcated. I haven't used that word in a long time. <laughs> that was good. Good vocab. Thanks. Um, yeah. Yeah. We tend to go real hard. Yeah. Either or. When the reality is there's this crazy middle that we're trying to muddle through. And yeah, it hasn't been since, uh, when, when was the last pandemic? 1918? It, it's been a hundred years since as a culture, we've had to figure out how to do that. And I, I feel like as we move out of this, which God willing will be sooner rather than later, we need to have some philosophical discussions as a culture. What does it look like? to balance rights and responsibilities? How do we honor the, the fact that individuals ought to have rights, but they exercise those rights within the context of a community? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a complicated discussion. So are you able to draw a distinction you did earlier between the argument and the person? So even if you find a person's ideas or arguments to be dangerous or unhealthy, you're still able to afford that person the same respect as anyone else. You don't. Uh, okay. As a person. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I have friends, specifically friends who don't share the faith that I do. They think that my ability to reason well and think clearly about the world when it comes <laughs> to God, they think I'm out of my mind mm -hmm. and yet they still give weight to things I say about other issues. They haven't dismissed me as a person, mm -hmm. though they think I'm really wrong. And if you're Richard Dawkins, you think I'm abusing my kids. Uh, <laughs> right. But yeah. so they, they separate. There's this one thing I don't think Anthony sees properly. And yet I see the rest of Anthony 
And there's a pretty good track record. There was actually on my blog, I had a guy comment on a post that I did reading a book on early African-American writers during the time of slavery. And a lot of them had very mystical experiences and claims to really miraculous things. And I posted a, a story of this and someone I don't know who follows my blog, weighed in and said, I'm really disappointed in this. You've been so so clear-headed and rational. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly here you are with the miraculous. And it, so we had a discussion about it. But I thought he was wrestling with, here is one thing I disagree with him about, but he has this uh, corpus of other information. Corpus, that's another word I haven't used oh, in a long Anthony. time. I know, this is a big day $5 for me. $5 words. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> that, I think, Beth, is what I'm talking about, is that uh, I have people who have I have good reason to believe have great clarity and understanding of wisdom in so many areas of life. I feel like in this area, something's not clicking. They feel the same way with me. But does that mean then I I throw all of them out because of this one area, or do I go actually? I still believe you're this particular kind of person. I just think you're getting this thing wrong. Even it has big implications, but I don't think you're. I don't think you're, what was the word you used? Malicious? I don't think there's any malicious about it. I just think it. there's a lack of good information that is helping to form you versus other areas of life where you're getting good information. So I have a hard time being angry. I might be sad, I might be frustrated, but I have a hard time being angry. And I guess I'm curious, like there might be a spectrum of bad faith arguments here. I think the vaccines, even though I'm personally frustrated by it, is one where I have at least a little more understanding because- there's so much misinformation out there and people feel very sensitive about things they're putting in their own body. So mm-hmm. I kind of get that. I'm frustrated by it. I get it. I have less compassion for the stop this deal <laughs> argument because mm. it's completely false and, and super dangerous. And then you could get into really bad faith arguments like something like, you know, the Jews are an inferior race, like, yeah. a you know, a Nazi type of argument. And I've seen th- that spectrum of arguments and I've seen people's belief that their opinions are as equally valid to anyone else and should be respected as much as any other argument that this is my opinion. I don't think the Jews are, you know, equal to us as people. I, I have a hard time with this idea that we seem to have, and it's, it's really strong in America because of all of our emphasis on rights, like you said, but that you should be afforded respect for everything that you personally believe, even if it's crazy or racist or harmful. And if you challenge someone or show disrespect for the argument, then people will, you know, be like, well, I, I have a right to my opinion, you know, and then mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, and that should be it, you know, and, and I see this all the time as a journalist who manages social media for my newspaper, for my media outlet, people post crazy things and they just get horribly upset if they're fact checked, you know, or, or challenged. And it's like, well, I have a right to think this way. And I I have a problem with that. Like, do you have Mm -hmm. a right to think that way? Or at least you might, but does everyone have to respect it? I don't think so. That's the distinction, right? Yeah. Yeah. But how do you, I have a hard time, I guess, figuring out how to show respect. And I'm going to let Taylor talk to this because he hasn't talked to us. I have a hard time showing, figuring out how to show respect for the person when there's such a argument being positioned that merits disrespect or at least challenge, that's a hard line for me to walk. Oh, I'm struggling with the same exact thing. And I think what I, what I am having to figure out is which people can I move forward with? Mm. And 
determining like, and that, and I'm not talking about, I can only move forward with people that agree with me. I'm talking about reasonable people that we can make each other better through discourse, through conversation. I can learn from, I can help you critically think in a way you haven't before. And you can do the same for me. Uh, none of that has to do with agreement. And it's easy to suss those people out because the, the ones that you probably don't want to move forward with are the ones that say, because I have an opinion, then fact no longer plays a role. Like mm -hmm. I, I have my opinion, even though you just gave them all kinds of evidence of like why their opinion is not rooted in truth. Um, those aren't people that I'm going to effectively be able to move forward with as much as I would want to. Like I can love and respect that person, but we're not going to be able to team up and make this place better because they're incapable of that. And if there's areas where I'm doing that same thing, if there's areas where I'm unreasonable, um, I probably don't know it because I don't think you realize when you're being unreasonable, <laughs> right, right. right? None of us, when we're being unreasonable, yeah. know we're being unreasonable. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and so I, I, I need to also ask myself constantly, like, as much as this is a focus on the other party outside of us, I have to, I think, give as much time, if not more, to evaluating what I think too, and how I might be someone that is difficult to work with and move forward with. Um, but I'm struggling. Like, I don't know that I have, have these answers either in terms of engaging with people where they're legitimately, we're talking about physical health here. It's really, it's really, really tough, but I can come up with ways of figuring out how I want to partner with people, whether I agree with them or not. And I, I have such a, it's hard for me, like in my career, and this is just like my orientation, I have such a passion for truth and we're living in such a weird age, the truthiness age where truth is malleable and uh, subject to one's own personal opinion. And we can have alternative facts. You know, the fact that that was said with a straight face <laughs> by someone in Trump's administration was just like, okay, I have a really hard time with that. I think it's hard to build community if people are living in different realities. You know, it's hard to have shared communal values if we can't even agree on what's happening right in front of us. So it's this era of sort of everyone can have their own version of truth and they're all equally valid is very challenging for me because I'm a journalist. And I believe there is a bottom line truth. There is some objectivity about reality and about the world. I think when we were talking, an example that came to mind would be like Alex Jones and the conspiracy theories that he spread about Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. And then- All the false flag stuff. Yeah, uh -huh. any false flag stuff. But especially this came to my mind because there was a Parkland shooting survivor this week who did a story with Vice. I don't know if you saw this. So his father- now believes that the Parkland shooting was a conspiracy. Yeah. And his own son was his there. His own son was a survivor of this massacre. And this guy has been turned by QAnon conspiracies and has telling his son, you know, you're wrapped up in this conspiracy theory. You were a part of it. And imagine how, again, just going to the Capitol officers, how damaging it is to live through a traumatic experience. And then not only to have strangers, but your own parents tell you that your reality is false and that you're part of a conspiracy theory, like the, the divide and the trauma and the re-traumatization that you must go through with something like that. And the, with the Sandy Hook parents had to deal with, with strangers telling them that their children hadn't been killed and they were, you know, it, I mean, it's just so, it's so horrific. And I have, 
so little patience for it because I feel I also have a strong sense of justice and protection of the weak. It's another reason I'm a journalist. I, I want to be a voice for the voiceless. And I get really upset when bad faith arguments lead to people being traumatized. It's not just then, you know, your right to your opinion. You're deliberately inflicting psychological harm and trauma onto other people. And I, I don't have a lot of patience for it. And I'm really struggling and I'm, I'm, hearing some of what you're both are saying and it's helping me sort through it. I don't think there are easy answers. I still want to maintain my respect for other people as image bearers, but man, do I have a hard time. And I want to, I guess, Anthony, especially for you, because you're making this distinction so clear is like, what are we allowed to do to confront lies and to confront bad faith arguments, especially when they're harmful? Like if someone in your church was spreading something that was harming another family we have to be able to combat that. Like, mm -hmm. I think bad faith arguments need people standing up and saying, no, this is the truth. This is reality. Mm -hmm. They need people. Those people need people fighting from the officers and those families need people saying, no, this is the truth. Okay. So I'm going to recommend three things. And, and then I've got a blues festival to get to. So we might have to wrap this up. <laughs> okay. soon. Three words come to my mind and I'm going to say all three so you can help me remember them. Humility and gentleness and truth. So Humility, I think we want to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, right? So part of what I think about is how would I like people to interact with me when they think I'm out of my mind and I'm incredibly wrong. I don't want them name calling me. I don't want them blowing up my news feed. I don't want, it's a lot of things I don't want. Okay, so let's think about practicing this. So for me, I'd like, I want other people to, when I challenge something, I'd like them to go, okay, I could be wrong. I'll look into this. So I need to do that. I have an opinion about masks. I could be wrong. Um, I try to keep reading articles of all the studies to make sure that, uh, am I right about what I think about this or was I wrong in my perception? That can go with vaccines. That can go with how safe the election is. You name it. I hope I always model a stance of humility where if someone challenges me, I'm able to say, unless it's something like the, like the Sandy Hook, there are some things where I I don't have time for it because it's so ludicrous, the false flag stuff. But there's a lot of things where I go, okay, uh, thank you for sending me that article. I'll read it. I'll, I'll go to the links that are embedded in the article because I'll try to get to primary sources to make sure I'll check everything out. I, I'll Google it and do fact checks online, see what everybody's saying. I want to be humble enough to know that I could be wrong. And I would like others to do that as well. So I need to model that. Um, and it, it turns out... I am wrong sometimes, probably more than I'd like to be. I'm often in need of correction. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I look everything up and go, no, I think I was right. But either way, it's good for me. Um, I'm either confirmed in what I thought was true or I am led closer to truth. So I'd say humility is the first thing. Gentleness, I don't mean weakness and I don't mean passivity. I simply mean only those who have strength can be gentle. And so when I'm approaching, I've got power with my words, right? I can belittle or demean people with my words. Okay. I don't want to do that. I want to be gentle. I can overwhelm people. I can insult. There's all kinds of ways in which I can bring my presence into something and blow stuff up. Okay. I don't like it when people do that to me, so I don't want to do it to them. So that's what I mean by gentleness, not passivity or weakness, but trying to think very carefully about how I approach things. And then the third thing is simply truth. And that is at the end of the day, I don't want to compromise on that. Um, and if those first two are in place on both sides of a discussion, if both parties are committed to humility and gentleness, 
I think you can talk about where you're clashing about what's true all day long. In fact, I think you can walk away from that better friends than you started. Um, but they all have to, if all you do is truth, it's not going to go well. Because you're just going to yell at each other, right? Uh, like, it, I think it's a package deal for those things. But that there's what I think of as character qualities or character practices. I think they need to be in place. And at the end of the day, if if I am trying to do that well and someone that I'm talking to is not responding and they are, <laughs> they're not responding. And I could tell that we're not learning together. I'd like to grow together with people. We're not learning together. Um, at some point you just go, it was nice talking with you. Um, let's talk about something else. Mm-hmm. Or I'd prefer that we not talk about the subject, not because, part, partly because I, I want to maintain whatever good thing I have with that person, um, if possible. The things you mentioned, Beth, when it comes to what I would call like human rights abuses, <laughs> Nazism, racism, things where people look at other people and they are less than as people. Yeah, we're not, if you really think that way, we're going to have a lot of problem. I don't think we see the world even remotely close but a lot of these other things that we've been talking about today, um, I, I think there is a way for us to do life together that doesn't compromise putting out there what we see that is true, but requires a real commitment to being a particular kind of people on both sides of the conversation. Does I really, that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I want to let Taylor maybe have the last word today because well, we, Anthony and I talked a lot oh, no, no, and we're wrapping um, up. So I want to give you the last no, word. No, <laughs> I came into this being like, I hope they have some answers because man, I am uh, I'm struggling to relate and talk to some people. Um, but I think w- with all that you had said, what was coming to mind is like, I, I'm constantly thinking about who do I want to move forward with? I want to be someone that people feel comfortable moving forward with towards progress. And again, I don't know, like the, I don't even think the definition of progress is necessarily always important, but just like seeking something better, making this place better. So I want to be someone that people can move forward with. And I also want to find people that I think are willing to move forward with. And I think what I'm hearing is that I'm going to be able to do that with people who are like brave enough to change and alter their thinking and, and give more nuance to things. And that's what I really like. And I'm not saying that they're brave enough to change and come over to my side because there are a lot of things like I jumped on the racial injustice train. I mean, I was a social worker, so I've known about it for, for quite a while, but like in, in March, 2020, I was like, okay, this is, this is something I'm going to plant my flag in. This is a problem. And as I went forward to where I'm at now, I've changed on that. I haven't changed in my thinking that that it's a problem, I've actually become more nuanced in understanding like how important it is to speak out against those things. So change was happening for me. And I want to partner up with people who are willing to change, whether that is totally changing their thinking and they like do a 180 or it's finding more nuance to why they believe what they believe. And I don't know, just, I hope that people can give me some of the respect that, that I am in a perfect world giving them to. I'd love for us to do a future episode on how to build good faith arguments. I think it'd be interesting just to talk about principles. Mm, yeah, that's a good idea. I don't know. Beth, Wait, you, no, you, you no. I was like say you had the last word. No, all I want to say is I just want to thank you guys for having a discussion with me. It's not easy and it's been challenging for me personally because I can get 
very uh, angry and impatient and arrogant sometimes in my own viewpoints and just want other people to think like I think. (laughs) And life doesn't work that way. And that's not how community works either. Um, And I really appreciate both of your points. I think I agree with you, Taylor. I want to find people who will go on that journey with me. These conversations are what I like about this podcast is I don't think the three of us all come from the same lived experience or the same viewpoint sometimes, but I always feel respected and safe talking to you guys and willing that we're all willing to change our minds or grow. And that's really important. And I really appreciated the three things that you shared, Anthony, because I think you're right. I think a lot of times I care so much about truth as a person and as a reporter that I think it's the only thing that matters. And I will be just as rude or arrogant or in someone's face as I feel like I need to be if I don't think the truth is being defended. And that doesn't win hearts and minds. Like you're right. It it does require some humility and gentleness. And I think those are two things I lack (laughs) a lot of times, but want to work on. So I really appreciate, um, I appreciate those words. I think that's something I'm going to take to heart and think about. So thanks to both of you for the conversation. It was really helpful. Thanks to the two of you. Yeah. Appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening. 